Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we search yet another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. <laughs> and today we have a returning guest, the returning winner, uh, Lon Winston. He's the founder and artistic executive director of Thunder River Theater Company. Uh, we're going to be speaking with him in just a few minutes, find out how he's doing. We'll check in. But before that, Christina, if somebody wants to get in touch with us or with Lon, how do they do that? Well, at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Um, now, if you're listening to this as a, um, like on iTunes um, through any device, you can give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Now, this could be months from now, could be a year from now. Um, as long as we have your contact information, if you're asking a question, we will uh, definitely make sure to get it to our guest or to Dr. Woolman and get back to you with your answer. Or we'd love to still hear your comments on how you enjoy the show and uh, how you um, might have helped you to raise consciousness and awareness in your life. Thank you so much, Doc. Yeah, really. Raising consciousness and awareness. Mm -hmm. What a concept. Christina, before we uh, get together with Lon, I want to uh, follow up, as I always do. Uh, when we last spoke, we talked about the bill that was in the House and the Senate in California, AB 15, the end-of-life option. And at the time uh, we went on, it was being voted on. And I am very happy to say it was voted on and passed by the House and the Senate in in uh, California, and then it went to the governor's desk. And very recently, Governor Jerry Brown of California signed the bill into law. Yes. So we are so excited about that. And if anybody ever wants to find out more about that, they can go to my Facebook page, The Medical Guide, and uh, see information on that. We're very excited about that. California is the fifth state in the country that's done mm -hmm. that, and it's really great. We're very proud of all the people that. Uh, voted on it and contacted uh, governors and senators and assembly people, and it worked. Yes. Way to go, everybody. Congratulations. Wonderful. Really yeah. wonderful. Well, it's about time. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. It really is. Yes. So congratulations on that. Yes. So let's get to uh, the show today. On October 29th in 2012, we met with Lon Winston, who I said is the artistic and executive director of Thunder Ritter. Thunder River Theater Company. He's also director, designer, performer, and producer, and he's been doing this for over five decades, and we have been friends for around six decades. At that time, we did episode number 35. We called it Cancer, a word or a sentence. And at that time, we talked about Lon's many different types of cancers that he had, and uh, we found out that he's been treated for all of them and is in remission. And that's where we wanted to pick up today. We want to talk about uh, what it's like to be in remission and find out uh, what it's like having had cancers, et cetera. And we're going to just pick it up from there. So welcome, Lon. Welcome. Hello, How are you Lon. Doing? Hi. <laughs> Do you need to spend a minute with Christina before we start? <laughs> I uh, need to spend an hour with Chris before we start. Then he'll really go loopy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Great to see you, Lon. Thank you for joining us again. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. So, Lon, Happy I want here in the big word. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to just summarize for a second and correct me uh, if I say anything wrong. But a number of years ago. Uh, the big one we were concerned about was that you were diagnosed with hairy cell leukemia. You went through uh, chemotherapy, and it seemed to work. But in doing the chemotherapy, as potentially always, when people have chemo, they have uh, potential side effects. And one of the side effects was a low white count, which uh, offers the uh, ability to have an opportunistic infection because your body can't uh, deal with it as well. You came down with a meningitis. You eventually got treated for that. You went into remission, and then it came back again. 
You were treated again uh, successfully this time and went back into remission. And I think you started to go in a third time. Is that correct? Started to go into... into uh, out of remission and into Harry cell again a third yes, time. Yes, right. that was the third time when I then got uh, accepted into a clinical trial at okay. National Institutes of Health. Yeah, and we want to talk about the National Institute of Health. So you were in your third trial, uh, or you were in your third uh, treatment, and you, you had your second treatment, and they found a squamous cell carcinoma at the base of your tongue. And they had to stop the chemo for the hairy cell, and they wanted to treat you for the squamous cell. And so you went, you went back to Colorado. You got treated with radiation and chemotherapy. And at one point, eventually, the doctor taking care of you said, Lon, we have cured you. Is that correct? That is correct. So you got, a, you got a, a, a cancer, a squamous cell cancer, and you had a doctor come in to you after a long treatment saying, you're cured of this cancer. But now you have the other cancer. You had that, and you were in remission from the hairy cell cancer. So tell us a little bit in your mind, what's the difference between hearing from a doctor you're cured and hearing from another doctor about another cancer that you're in remission? How do they play out? Well, <clears throat> remission to me uh, just means that the uh, cancer's lurking. Um, it's not gone. I don't really think about the squamous um, because I was told, you know, we don't get to say this often, but you're cured. Um, so I accept that, and I would be shocked if I learned that somewhere in my body there was a squamous cell carcinoma dancing around. But when I hear that I'm in remission, I know that somewhere in my body there is this little hairy cell that is um, doing its thing. And it does do its thing. Tell us in your mind what its thing is so that people that are listening for the first time, and we recommend people go back and listen to show episode number 35. It's one of the most watched uh, shows we've done on uh, Magical Medical Tour. Well, the, um, I'm not sure what you, what you want me to uh, respond to here. Living with uh, remission? No, before that, I want you to just describe what hairy cell is, hairy cell leukemia is, so that people get an idea of what you're living with. What well, is hairy cell leukemia, if you're going to have a leukemia, hairy cell leukemia is the one to have. It's, uh, it's pretty treatable. Um, there are people who um, don't survive from hairy cell, but most do. I mean, I'm in my... Uh, 17 plus years of having been diagnosed with hairy cell. <clears throat> the protocols, the drugs, there's a lot of research going on in, in hairy cell, mostly at NIH, but Ohio State University and the Mayo Clinic and other places have their uh, clinical trials on hairy cell because it seems to be receptive to various uh, drugs and cocktails that are available. Hairy cell is a mutated white blood cell that uh, lives in the marrow and um, uh, creates pockets in the marrow that prevent you from producing the levels of, of blood that you need, both uh, white blood uh, red blood and platelets. Um, so it, it really affects the production, the healthy production of blood. The, um, the new uh, drugs on the market are uh, pretty much smart bombs. They attach to proteins that you have on your uh, hairy cell, uh, which are mutated white blood cells. If you've got those proteins, then uh, the new drugs they're using attach right to
into the cell itself and um, sort of uh, helps the cell to destroy itself. And, um, and that's what I've gone through. The original drug, the 2CDA, which was the chemotherapy of choice 17 years ago, didn't just adhere to the white blood cells that were infected. It just wiped out your whole uh, immune system, um, <clears throat> which is why I got cryptococcal meningitis and other things that I was able to, thank God, fight. Now the drugs are a little more sophisticated um, and the cocktail of the drugs are a little more sophisticated. And so that helps the whole um, process of eliminating the hairy cells without hurting the other um, production of blood. Excellent. And just to uh, help everyone a little bit in terms of the whole process, when these hairy cells start developing in the bone marrow and they eliminate the production or they take <laughs> over and don't allow the production of the other types of cells, it's the consequences of those other cells that are lacking. For example, when red cells, red blood cells are not lacking, then it's hard to bring oxygen and nutrients to your uh, all the cells of your body. When the white cells are lacking, then you have a lower immune system and you're susceptible to infections that normally uh, would be taken care of by the white cells. And the platelets are the ones that help with clotting. So if you have a good number of platelets and they, you accidentally cut yourself, eventually platelets will take over, go through a mechanism and help you to clot. When you're lacking those platelets from a, a very simple cut, you could eventually bleed out. And those are, the, those are the serious consequences. So that's why it's so important to recognize this and treat this. So now we're talking about you, you finished the uh, squamous cell, you got cured, and you're in remission. And that's what I want to spend a lot of today talking about, what it's like to be in remission of a cancer. We've talked with other patients that are diagnosed with cancer and, and being treated for cancer. We're talking with uh, Scott Spaulding these days as he's going through his th chemotherapy, and we don't even know what's going to happen at the end. But you're in remission. So first of all, you said you mentioned a few moments ago that you don't even think of squamous cell anymore. Does that mean you do think of hairy cell all the time? All or the time. All the time. I think of it all the time. There's um, <clears throat> there's not a day uh, that goes by that I don't think about um, hairy cell. And I'm always being uh, tested and CBCs and looking at counts and if they drop, if they go up, whatever, whatever happens. Um, and the, you know, it, I was in remission and I didn't have a hairy cell. It, it wasn't showing up in flow cytometry in my blood. It wasn't showing up in my marrow from bone marrow biopsies. Um, and then a couple of years ago, it was back in my marrow. And there are people who have had a hairy cell in their marrow, but not in their blood for um, going on to a dozen to years. And um, sometimes doesn't affect their uh, blood levels at all. And um, that's not the case with me. <laughs> I want to talk about actually being in remission and, and saying that you think about this every day. Now, it's possible that you could think about it every day and never leave your bedroom because you're panicking about it or you're worried that it's going to come back and it's going to do some harm to you. But you don't do that. You think about it, but you lead your life. How, do, oh, totally. how does that play out? Yeah, I, I live my life. I don't let any of this interfere with what I love to do. Um, I run a theater, I ski, I hike, I bike, I, I do all the things, I travel, I do whatever it is that um, fulfills my life uh, in every way I can, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. 
What do you recommend for people? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, part of what we're doing here is offering service to others. Uh, other people that may be in a remission that may not be dealing with it as well as you. Any thoughts or, or suggestions on how to deal with some kind of a cancer that you're in remission? Well, you know, it's um, everybody deals with these things uh, differently. I keep my life full. Um, I think that's really important, uh, having a lot to consume my day. I also know that it's incredibly important for me uh, to be healthy in every other way. So um, I eat a really good, healthy diet. I, um, I work out daily. Um, I do all of the sports and activities that I love. Um, I stimulate my mind and my creativity with um, having a professional theater company. Um, I'm in shows so that I'm exercising my brain and memorizing lines and just doing everything I can possibly do to uh, enrich my life fill every void in the course of a day. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy. So, yeah, so part of that to me seems to be one of the, one of the takeaway messages here is to always be doing something that you love. I would imagine that there are people that have jobs and lifestyles that they're not happy about, they've gotten into, and it might be a little more difficult for those people at times to uh, stop thinking about whatever cancer they have. So that, that might be a key there. What do you think? Well, I think that it's, you know, yeah, a lot of people haven't been fortunate enough to, you know, really enjoy that sense of following one's bliss. I mean, you know, from the time you and I were, you know, 12 years old or whatever, I mean, we knew what we wanted to do and we followed our bliss. Mm -hmm. And um, and I've been very fortunate. I mean, I had years and years of being a professor at a university, uh, teaching theater and, and cultural anthropology. It's what I wanted to do. And when I retired from teaching, um, even before that, I always uh, was involved in the professional theater at the same time. And I think that, that that's important. If you haven't had that wonderful opportunity to be able to live and follow your bliss, there's still uh, lots of ways of bringing the things that you love into your life um, and also extending yourself to help others. Um, I, I spend a great deal of time talking to people who have health issues because I know I have a really positive attitude about it. And so uh, my doctors over the years have called me and said, do you mind talking to so-and-so um, about uh, what you go through? I mean, you even did that when a friend of ours uh, got a squamous cell carcinoma uh, last year. Um, you said you need to talk to Lon. Um, I do have, um, I have a good, a positive attitude and I think that's why I'm still uh, able to deal with it. And, um, even though we're discussing what it's like to feel, um, about being in remission, um, the truth of the matter is, as we sit here today, um, I'm not in remission. Um, you want me to continue that? <laughs> uh, not yet. I want to get okay. to that. Lon, uh, you said that you come in to thinking about Harry Cell every single day. Uh, what do you do when it comes into your mind, be it whether you're just sitting around uh, at home or whether you're riding on your Harley or whether you're on, on the stage in performance? How do you how do you work with it coming into your mind? 
Well, probably the um, the safest place I have of it not coming into my mind is when I'm on stage in a production. Mm -hmm. uh, I go through a whole process where I am there. Um, but when I'm riding my Harley or I'm working out or I'm skiing or I'm sitting at home um, and it pops into my head, I have... Um, I'm uh, notorious for having a monkey mind, and um, it starts uh, chattering, and I have to go through a lot to get it out of my mind. It's um, so that it doesn't consume me, and it uh, doesn't take away from my joy and of the moment. So it's a process. It's, it's not always easy. Christina, did you have a question? Yes. Um, Lon, during your remissions and um, as you sort of been challenged several times in a row, did you uh, change your lifestyle in the means of away from, you know, bringing, it sounds like you've always been very positive in your life. And, and you know, when you were a teacher, you very fortunate did you change things in your diet, in your nutrition, in your habits? You know, I did a lot of that long before I ever dealt with the problems that I deal with. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I changed my diet over 40 years ago. Hmm. Um, my, I've always been active uh, and just uh, continued that uh, the older I got. Um, so when the time uh, came where I was diagnosed with uh, hairy cell leukemia, I mean, I was hiking up over 12,000 feet from Aspen, Colorado to Crested Butte when I uh, thought I was dying at the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was at, you know, the maximum of my activity and at the same time feeling something that I had never felt before. Um, and then uh, found out uh, shortly after that that I uh, had hairy cell leukemia and they wondered how I ever even got to 12,000 feet without a heart attack. Mm. But I think that part of that was because I was so strong and healthy. And um, so in terms of actual change in my lifestyle, no, I don't think there's been uh, a serious change in my lifestyle. I think I realized, hey, you're alive because you were strong. Keep mm. it up. Mm. Interesting. That's a really good point. And as a medical guide, I work with a lot of people, and I, uh, I always talk about what I call preparatory medicine, not preventive medicine, because as we know, we can't always prevent illnesses or injuries, so why not be prepared? And and that's by being in the op state of optimal health and body, mind, and spirit. And I think you try to do that. But one of the things that you also do, uh, which I think is very important, is you, you certainly don't deny the, the lurking hairy cell, which means that you are taking care of yourself, but you also go through medical checkups uh, almost religiously. I'm very vigilant. Um, I, I do CBCs, uh, CBC is a complete blood count for those who may not know. Right. It, okay. it, you know, lets me know what my white count is and my, uh, hemoglobin and hematocrit and, um, and my platelets and, uh, other, uh, other chem, you know, chemistry that's done mm -hmm. the, um, so I'm vigilant about that. I have been, obviously, for the last 17 years. So I know when the uh, blood, I mean, I know that a CBC is a, a picture at that one moment in time. And if, it, uh, if that same picture, um, let's say, of low blood counts appears a couple of times in a row, then I go, hmm need to need to take this a step further. Um, I also go out to NIH, uh, National Institutes of Health in Bethesda once a year, 
and uh, they uh, do tests. So I'm I'm aware of when things are uh, looking good or looking not so good. What uh, what's it like being associated with NIH? Well, I, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, it. I'm very fortunate uh, to be involved uh, with them. Uh, to be in a, a clinical trial that uh, did uh, put me in remission for, uh, you know, six more years. Um, <clears throat> and I get to learn about things um, way before most people learn about what's going on in their body. So I'm usually ahead of the game. When you, when you talk to other people, when you talk to other people uh, about your cancer or health in general, uh, do you ever suggest getting uh, involved at NIH? And, and if so, how do people get involved in a potential clinical trial? And why should somebody get involved in a clinical trial? You know, um, <clears throat> the science is pretty wonderful in our country. And there are clinical trials um, all over the country at lots of different hospitals and medical facilities, usually academically driven at major universities that are connected to hospitals. Um, the University of Colorado and CU Hospital in Denver. I mean, they're, they're all over Houston. They're huge, huge programs. So researching uh, clinical trials in a very specific area is a good thing to do as soon as you uh, learn about what your uh, specific illness uh, might be. Um, that's not to say that uh, people uh, can't be treated right where they live. Um, there's lots of uh, wonderful care uh, happening, but it's, it's when it... Um, fails to uh, work for you uh, locally, or it puts it in remission, you come out of remission, it puts it into remission, it comes out of remission, uh, that says something that um, your body is either building up antibodies to the drugs that you're taking, they're not uh, working as, as well, and so you may need a different process, you may need different drugs, you may um, you may be fortunate and find that, like I was, I had a very specific uh, protein on my hairy cells that allowed these new drugs to adhere to, and, um, and that helped. And I think that uh, people just need to be aware of it and, and take charge, uh, take charge of your own health care. Um, you have to, you have to do, you have to be the squeaky wheel. You have to get out there. You have to see what's available. Um, and that's what I do and what I did. I'm doing it right now. Do you, uh, how do you tell people to get in touch with NIH, go through their own doctor or do it on their own? Now we have websites and other things like that. Do you just suggest they go directly to NIH and Yes. I mean, you can certainly ask your doctor to um, help you do that if they are uh, research oriented. Um, you know, not not every small community and every doctor is driven by research. You know, they've been trained. They they have whatever their protocol is and they know. Um, and if you find that your local doctor is not research driven, then yeah, get on the internet. Um, it, it, there is so much available uh, online. Uh, you can go to NIH, you can click on clinical trials, you can type in anything you've got and it pops up and, and off you go. Um, it's it's just a plethora of, of science and research out there that uh, people need to take advantage of. All right. So now you're living your life. You're doing things. You're scheduling performances. You're scheduling uh, workshops. You're scheduling trips and everything else. And suddenly in your normal life, your 
doing certain things and you're recognizing because you're so tuned into your body that you're starting to see when you exercise a little too hard, <laughs> you're getting more short of breath than you normally think you should. That just recently happened, right? Yeah. Um, I found, you know, I go to the uh, club or I get on my bike and um, I, you know, I was fine. I work out for an hour um, on a, a, a cycle um, or uh, a treadmill and then I'd go in and do my weightlifting and I felt fine. But at home, if I'm sitting in the living room, and this happened in the last uh, couple of months, I'd um, uh, bolt up out of my chair and I'd run upstairs to get something and I'd get to the top of the stairs and I'm breathing like I just ran a marathon. And that didn't feel right to me. And so the the red flags uh, started waving and I started questioning um, were my uh, my red blood counts um, significant enough to be um, spontaneous uh, energy like that, uh, picking up enough blood to get it to my. Uh, the rest of my body. And uh, I talked to you about it. Um, I mean, we theorized about a couple of different things, but in the back of my head, Harry Cell was back. And so now you have to confirm it. And you had an NIH appointment coming up, but, interest but interestingly, uh, it was right at the time that the uh, Atlantic seaboard was uh, being introduced to Joaquin the hurricane. That's correct. <laughs> so you had you had to make some decisions. Yeah, maybe this is Harry Cell. Maybe I can get a blood test, a CBC here in town, or should I go back to NIH during a hurricane? So how I went you... back to NIH during the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> it was that important yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that is, that's the positive side of a monkey mind. <laughs> it, it, it generates, it generates activity. Um, right. and I, you know, I was immediately, I mean, the internet does more than just clinical trials. You get up to date weather anywhere in the world. <laughs> and I followed the hurricane and I saw that it was turning back out to sea and I saw that the flooding that was going on in South Carolina and North Carolina didn't seem to be moving up to Maryland. And I'm flying into Dulles, close to Bethesda. And um, it seemed like uh, it was appropriate for me to get on the plane and get the hell out there. You're now at NIH and they start doing all the studies on you and uh, the blood tests and MRIs and everything else. And at that moment, Monkey Mind, I'm sure, is at, it, at peak performance. Peak? Uh, peak <laughs> performance. <laughs> so who was the person that came in and, and what did they tell you that, that changed your life again? Well, I was sitting there... Um uh, watching the news, waiting for, I'd done all my tests, um, and I was waiting for what was referred to as my a clinic. It's something you sit with the research nurse and the research doc, Dr. Kreitman, who happened to be out of town. So I was there uh, when he was gone for a couple of days. And the postdocs that um get involved in these, you know, yearly uh, studies. And I was sitting there and uh, uh, Leslie, who is the research nurse, walked out and gave me a big hug and said, how you feeling? And I said, ah, you know, I feel OK, a little uh, short of breath. And she said, well, you know, the x-ray of your lung was clear, which is something I was concerned about because I'm thinking, you know, what if it's not hairy cell and why am I having this short of breath? I mean, you and I even talked about, um, you know, a bad valve in my heart or something, which seemed a little weird to me, given the fact that I'm 
so active and had never experienced anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And she put her arm around me and she said, your blood levels are dangerously low and I'm not sending you back to Colorado without a blood transfusion. Talk about going from the heights of exultation to the depths of despair. (laughs) (laughs) So So we went into the office and she handed me my CBC and my uh, white blood count, uh, which at uh, my age, male, um, uh, should be uh, somewhere between 5 and 14. was thousand. Thousand. Right. Right. Point, point eight. Oh. So that meant that I had, um, I was neutropenic. Um, no. Very ahead. little immune system, if any. If any. And probably had been like that. It doesn't just go from 5,000 to, you know, point eight overnight. So probably several months of me actually going to the club, hiking, getting in my hot tub, working out, hanging with people, going camping, and I was neutropenic. Mm -hmm. Um, My um, hematocrit and hemoglobin um, were, um, you know, normal again is just from numbers is, uh, 14 and 40 ish, um, are the two figures that I always look for in terms of normal. Mm -hmm. Um, my, instead of 14, it was, uh, 9.2 and instead of 40 plus it was 24. So my uh, red blood counts were severely low, uh, hence the short of breath. And the uh, my platelets were very scary. They were at 42 when normal is 160 above. So my ability to even be able to uh, clot blood was dangerously low. And there I was sitting in the little clinic office with Leslie going, hmm, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Were those the exact words? Those were my words. (laughs) Yeah, I said, "Um, okay, next. (laughs) Was was this a month ago, Lon? Yes, ma'am. month ago. Hmm. Well, you're looking great. <laughs> that was a good transition. That's why I do this show, because I get to watch you, and then you tell me I look great. <laughs> you do. Your energy's great. And so, so, so this was a month ago that you had this transfusion. Uh, no, transfusion was two weeks ago. Oh, two weeks ago. Hurricane Joaquin. Yeah. Hmm. Um, See, I was and- away, so I didn't even know that there was a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, um, I went in, uh, they, they, uh, scheduled the, uh, one unit of blood immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that. Um, and then, um, the next morning I uh, got up at the hotel and went to the airport and put on my face mask and flew home. So now you're, you're, Knowing that you have hairy cell again, knowing that the treatments you had 17 years ago are not going to work anymore, knowing there are new clinical trials out, and you were offered two different clinical trials. And when we talk about clinical trials, uh, these are words, you know, these are drugs that are, they've been tested before, but they're looking for different ways of testing them to see if they can give lower doses and and just as effective, they offered you a number of different programs. So now it gets complex. Not only are you having to deal with hairy cell leukemia again, but now you have to have a new treatment and you don't know, 
you don't have a total understanding. My thinking is usually when the doctors say something to you, when you hear you have cancer, you go into a, a Gary Larson cartoon where the the master is talking to the dog and saying something, and the dog hears blah, blah, blah. So that you're hearing all of these long words of chemicals and trials. Now what's going through your mind? Um couple of things. One, that I'm um, fortunate enough uh, to be in a situation where I have alternatives. Um, and the other thing is, um, oh, I don't need this. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> you know, it's... Um, you know, one of the biggest difficulties in a clinical trial is usually there, you know, you read them, they're 26, 30 pages long. And the first couple of pages um, are what the trial is. And then the other 90 um, percent of the clinical trial article are about all the uh, possible side effects from, um, you know, a headache to dying. Um, and that's, that's really difficult because there's only one reason why uh, dying is a side effect of a clinical trial. It's because somebody died. Um, and even though it's, you know, uh, half of 1% of who they're experimenting on, um, you're putting yourself into that position, and that's scary. Um, I, I don't know what the outcomes of, of any of these are. I, I've been working with Kreitman, Dr. Kreitman at NIH, uh, for a long time now, and I, um, I trust him. I listen to him. He says to me, you know, Lon, I think you're a candidate where this new clinical trial could actually wipe it out of you once and for all. That's going to well, be a great feeling. That's a good feeling. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Okay. Um, and, you know, and at, at our age, you know, I don't need a whole lot more uh, times for somebody to say to me, you're in remission. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to I'll settle for that. Right. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, the, the two options, actually, one is a one of the clinical trials is a double option. And the, the other one is uh, um, not really what I'm looking for. It's something that they're doing that is um, not a chemotherapy. It's um, a tablets, pills that uh, seem to have worked for melanoma and possibly some other form of leukemia. And they want to see if there's a way for it to work um, on hairy cell leukemia. Hmm. I read it, uh, talked to Kreitman about it, uh, didn't, doesn't ring my chimes as something I want to put myself through when I've got hairy cell now in my blood and um, it's wrecking havoc with my uh, blood levels and I'm neutropenic. I'm not interested in, um, well, let's hang out with this for a while and see what happens. Um, then, so the, the next one is um, a trial that is, um, it's, it's a randomized um, phase two trial using uh, the drug of rituximab. Rituximab has been used with hairy cell leukemia going on 20 years now. It, it helps some people, it doesn't help others. Um, and penistatin and bendamustine are two drugs that also uh, have have worked. And so they've designed a, a trial for um, for those who have relapsed back into hairy cell leukemia, which I have done uh, on a number of occasions. And so the trial is 
uh, blindly using the penistatin or the bendamustine um, first and then the rituximab uh, second. And they do that for um, a, a few cycles and they see if it's working. And if it is, they continue it. And you're, uh, you hopefully are putting the hairy cells into remission or wiping it out. If they find that it's, if, for example, if I'm taking the penistatin with the rituximab and they find out that the, um, the counts aren't, aren't improving, it's, they're not getting rid of the hairy cells, they stop the trial, they switch the drug, keeping the rituximab, and switch the drug, the cocktail part, um, and you uh, begin again. So it's um, it's a little complicated. Probably going to take me anywhere from four to five months um, every couple of weeks. But the upside of this particular protocol is that um, you can go out to NIH, do the initial staging, do the first cycle. And then um, the next four or five cycles can happen at your hospital. Um, and we have a, a magnificent uh, cancer center here in the uh, Aspen Valley where I live uh, near Glenwood Springs. And <clears throat> they will continue the, um, the testing and watching me for side effects. And then I go back out to NIH for another staging to see how I'm doing and uh, do another cycle there. And if everything looks good, I come home and finish here. Um, that's I like that. Yeah, that's very nice. Home. And, it, you know, as my strength, uh, my guess is, is that um, it it's effective. And I mean, it's my positive part of uh, how I go at this, that um, my my uh, blood levels will drop after the first cycle, then they will start to recover. And I continue the cycles, I continue strength, and I'm skiing in January, even though I'm treated until April. There's a few things. That, that's a great uh, summary of that. One of the things that was interesting for me that I think that a lot of people don't think about, you know, we always hear about chemotherapy and how dangerous it is. And as you alluded to with the 25 pages of side effects from headache or rash to death, the other part of that that needs to always be brought up is that if you decide you're not going to treat it, the side effects of cancer are all of those things exactly, except maybe the loss of hair. So choosing not to do anything, the side effects of cancer can be just as devastating from a headache to dying, obviously. So I like the idea that um, you have the ability to work with NIH and work with your local hospital. One of the things that was very interesting for me in our discussions about this is that that in your big picture right now, you are so confident with NIH and with Dr. Kreitman and with the science and the chemotherapy and all of this that your biggest fear right now is before you can actually get started on the uh, chemotherapy and treatment is fear of catching some kind of a flu or some kind of a disease because you're uh, counts are very low. And I thought that was a real uh, mark of where science is today, to have a person who has a, a leukemia that can be able to say, I'm so confident with the leukemia, I'm really worried about whether I'm going to get a cold on the flight home. And that's more important to me. Well, I mean, that's that's part of it. I mean, one of my one of the things that concerns me the most is the bureaucracy of getting this protocol in place. Mm -hmm. They can't treat me and put me into this clinical trial until NIH 
and the cancer center here agree to um, a reliance agreement um, because the hospital is taking on a huge liability and responsibility by treating me here. NIH supplies the drugs, but the hospital is doing the uh, procedures. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are IVing me. They're the ones who are watching uh, for side effects and um, there's a huge responsibility on them. I mean, there are some hospitals that won't do that. They're not interested in that. Um, there are insurance companies who aren't going to be involved in that. Um, my hospital is, um, and my doctors here are all, all over clinical trials. I mean, they're, they're cancer doctors who, who get it. They they know that they got to be they got to support the research or they're not going to be any good to their patients or their future patients. So I'm an advocate for all of this. So I I preach the good word about the science um, and you know how I feel about that. Um, right. And it's um, I think it's amazing. And sometimes I don't think that local doctors have all that information. Um, there's probably not anybody in the valley that I live in uh, from Glenwood Springs to Aspen who knows as much about hairy cell leukemia as I do. <laughs> um, and the various uh, protocols and all the drugs that are available and how this uh, all comes down. Um, I am aware of it, and I'm, I'm on the phone every day. I just talked to both NIH and the Cancer Center here this morning. Um, come on, guys. <laughs> right. let's, let's get on the road. Let's get this signed. I need treatment. And, um, I mean, obviously, I have an alternative, which is nice. If this starts to... Uh, feel like it's not coming together, I can go to NIH and do the whole trial there and not worry about the hospital here. Right. And there, there's, and also, you know, one of the things that we love about medicine is the, you know, we talk about the integrative and the complementary and alternative medicines, and there are many people around the world out there in many different uh, studies that are looking at alternatives that can be either used in certain cases in combination with the chemotherapy or in certain cases maybe in preventive things that many more people can do to prevent those mutations of the genes looking at diets looking at you know the homeopathies and the naturopathies all of these things together you know that it it uh, says that the future looks good for people, you know, although there are many things out there that are causing some of these mutations in our environment where we have that part of science that uh, the in the agricultural areas and a number of other areas where we see things that can cause these mutations and the cancers, there's many things being done uh, to uh, alleviate them and in many more ways at some point it may just be gene therapy alone you may not have to take anything other than to transform a gene and get rid of the mutation Long, yeah, what's your, you know, what's, go ahead they have no idea what what causes hairy cell leukemia I mean that's part of the irony here um, <clears throat> is that I have a disease where they have no idea how why it is so rare, um, six, seven hundred uh, on average a year. Um, it's like one half of one percent of all the different kinds of leukemia uh, that we know of now. And um, I don't know why I have it. I may have been born with it. It may have been because I was riding my bike behind the mosquito uh, <laughs> spray truck in Miami when we were growing up. Right. Um, or the planes flying over for the fruit flies that they tell you, make sure you wash your car as soon as it sprays, but they didn't tell us to go in and take a bath. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. 
I don't know what causes it. It's interesting, though, that there's so much research behind hairy cell at, to help it um, and to cure it or to um, at least make it a chronic illness that one uh, can live with, uh, like, like other diseases. Dr. Kreitman said something interesting to me um, when he was talking about drugs. He uh, came up with this uh, war analogy. He said, you know, um, when, when you're at war, um, if you wound uh, somebody, they come back stronger against you. If they kill it, they can't come back at you. And their goal is to kill the hairy cells, not wound the hairy cells. Mm -hmm. Putting the hairy cells into remission uh, with various drugs really makes the hairy cells stronger mm -hmm. against those drugs. Mm -hmm. So somebody like me who has uh, gone into remission, come out of remission, gone in, come out, gone in, come out, um, it reduces the number of drugs that are available to me. And my hope is that somewhere in this new clinical trial that there is uh, that they're going to uh, the drug works and it kills it and um, or puts it in remission long enough that it doesn't matter to me anymore. <laughs> Christina. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, Lon, I, it, it's uh, what a journey that you've been on. It's just amazing, and you still, you know, I, 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 you know, you're so honest about you know how every time you hear something like that, it, it kind of, oh, here we go again, and yet you still have this wonderful energy and delightful attitude towards it, and and so hopeful and positive. That's amazing. And, and that's such a gift. That's such a gift that you have that ins will inspire other people. It's magnificent. I hope so. Thank you. It, come, it comes mainly from his support team. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the, bouncy, the bouncy ball just bouncy does balls. that. <laughs> I'll make sure to bounce all the time. <laughs> Lon, last time uh, during our uh, previous interview, you left us with a poem. You want to keep that uh, going? Yeah, we can do that. Let me see if I can uh, find it. I think I have it here somewhere. Okay, don't go away. No, we won't. <laughs> so, right, Christina, how's life? Oh, okay. <laughs> here it is. <clears throat> it's called Open House. I was invited to an open house. The house was not for sale. It wasn't a housewarming. It was my house. It was my house. My friends were outnumbered, the ones you really count on. My house was being invaded by aliens, mutants. It was my house. It seems they have been guests for a long time. A long time, a very diverse group, very smart. They knew where every nook and cranny was. They came through all my doors, even those I thought were locked. They had the keys. Mm, that was very nice. If, if we were in a theater right now, if we were at Thunder River Theater and you just read that, Probably I would stand up, give you a standing ovation, and be yelling encore. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you'd be going, oh, not again. <laughs> so, I'll just so, stick to my bouncing, okay? <laughs> so, so if I yelled yeah. encore, would you give us another poem? Yeah, I have a little one here that I think um, goes in a little different direction. It's called Subterranean Man. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to release myself from the subterranean depths of my body, invaded body. Move on, subman. There are more places to see. My eyes widen. 
my ears twitch, my touch more sensitive, all my senses expand. Mm. Nice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, no more encore, but um, <laughs> but as you know, as a previous person who was interviewed on Magical Medical Tour, we always ask for a health tip. Now, your whole show has been a health tip, and your poems certainly were very good, but what do you have for us? Well, you know, I, I think that um, I think my health tip was probably uh, summarized by our dear Christina. Um, it's about uh, maintaining a positive um, a positive quality, taking charge, um, being strong, maintaining your energy. It's so easy to go, um, oh, why me? And sit back and let it take over. Um, that's a natural process, I think, that we all go through, no matter what uh, disease we hear about. Um, or what happens to us in terms of uh, accident. Um, so I think that it's about uh, grabbing hold, staying strong, uh, trusting those that are working with you, um, being the squeaky wheel, and um, knowing when to pull out the heavy artillery. Sometimes the alternatives are great. They do wonderful things for us. But in, in our culture, in our science, um, it is that combination of the heavy artillery along with the, uh, some of the uh, other alternatives that are uh, being explored around our planet. We need to be open and embrace them all. Beautiful. And I think on that note, I'm extremely grateful to our very special guest and my very special friend, Lon Winston, for sharing his wisdom, his journey, and his experience with us. I'd also like to thank all of my teachers and all of my healers for allowing me on my journey, thanking Christina, Yoga Hub, and Magical Medical Tour, along with Segovia, putting the show together for us. And for all of our listeners and viewers who stay tuned to Magical Medical Tour, we really appreciate that and look forward to meeting again with all of you as we explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Thank you so much, Lon. And until next week, I wish you all optimal health. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much, Lon, for your consistent bright energy that you share with all of us and inspire us continuously. Not just those of us who might be going through a journey like yours, but just in life overall, you have just been an inspiration for the years that I've known you. And it's, it's, it keeps me bouncing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> it's been lovely. And, and, you know, we of course send all the wonderful energies and rebalance and, and look forward to your journey with this, um, your healing journey and rebalance um, to back to your wonderful life on that stage. And we, we look forward to, you know what? We got to just catch you on that stage of yours. That's all. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. Over and over. And of course, thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for another fabulous show. And uh, to all of you uh, out there for joining us on this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support. And we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. Um, If you would like to learn more about our wonderful guest, uh, Lon Winston, check out his theater. You know, he is online. It's the Thunder River Theater Company in Colorado. Right? It's Colorado, right? Um, and then, uh, yes, the, hopefully we can have a little follow-up with him as well. So any questions that you might have, just send it through our site or through our phone line. And if you would like to connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman, please do so through his website, glennwoolman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath. We're always grateful for your feedback and comments and you know any suggestions if you would like us to interview someone that you might be interested in hearing from please let us know. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK, 
Let's Talk. And until next time, stay. Could we be so lucky all the time to feel like it's such a joy? <laughs> well, we we actually can be. <laughs> and uh, and that's exactly what I show friends, family, clients, you know, students how to do. You know, yeah. Be, be in a state of release and know that that you are always releasing something. There's always something moving. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we and we don't even have to what if we didn't even have to release things, but we could instead just always be flowing? Mm-hmm. No, you know.